DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. For over 20 years, Dr. Bunsen has been active in the area of Catholic social communications and education, including writing, editing, and teaching on a variety of topics related to church history, the papacy, the saints, and Catholic culture. He is the faculty chair at the Catholic Distance University, a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and the author or co-author of over 50 books, including the Encyclopedia of Catholic History and the best-selling biographies of St. Damien of Molokai and St. Kateri Tekakawitha. He also serves as a senior editor for the National Catholic Register and is a senior contributor to EWTN News. The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Dr. Bunsen. It's great to be with you, Chris. Today we begin a, a conversation about a doctor of the church that lived in the beginning of the second millennium. Talk to us, if you would, about this particular era, what was going on. Is this a time where people thought that the end of the world w- was soon to come? And- <laughs> well, yes, exactly. It, it began that way. The arrival of the, the new millennium, the year 1000, was filled with apocalyptic uh, predictions, great fears uh, that the world was going to end. It sounds familiar, doesn't it, when we mm-hmm. think back in the year 2000. There was a, uh, a movement among some Christians to give away all of their possessions, in fact, uh, across parts of Europe, uh, there were groups of Christians who gave away everything and gathered in cemeteries to greet the start of the new millennium, what they assumed would be the arrival of Gabriel with the trumpet and the second coming of our Lord, the, the return of our Lord. It gives us a, f- a bit of a flavor, a sense of how difficult things were. And, and I say that first because you had the collapse of the great Carolingian Empire that be, was begun by Charlemagne, and you had what was called the Carolingian Renaissance, this explosion of learning. All of that seemed to have been just wiped away by plagues, by war, by invasions from the Norsemen, by invasions from the wild Magyars from the east. You had as well in the church a need for reform and renewal because you had... Uh, priests, unfortunately, not living up to uh, their promises, certainly not uh, to the great dignity of holy orders. You had bishops as well who were in need themselves of reform, uh, who were practicing things like uh, simony and concubinage. And you had in, in the wider church, the wider body of believers, uh, a certain lack of joy, of enthusiasm, because of all of these social, political economic and religious problems. And so it, it seemed at times like certainly the world was going to end. Um, and for those of us who look around today and see what appear to us to be very dark and terrible times, this is a valuable lesson uh, to remember that not only is the church always in need of reform, because certainly we are always in need of reform, but that God will provide great reformers. And that's where someone like Peter Damien really uh, came to the fore. Here we have the young Peter being born into a personal time of 
I think we can say a familiar cataclysm. You know, many of the doctors that we've talked about have kind of grown in that great womb of sanctity, which uh-huh. was their families. But in Peter Damien's case, his personal life as a child almost reflected what was happening on the world stage. Yeah, uh, that's a perfect way of putting it. That Here was somebody who was born in Ravenna around uh, 1007 into what was a, a noble family. The, the implication when one reads some of the accounts of his life is that the family was so poor that they really didn't want him around. In, in fact, he was probably born into a family of some means that still didn't want him around. It gives us uh, a warning to us in a way that uh, even in families that have plenty, uh, you can still suffer from the plague of selfishness and envy. And I think that's one of the things that, that happened uh, in his family, that uh, an older brother complained that he had been born at all, and uh, his own mother had to be criticized and, and really forced into caring for him properly. And as a result, uh, from his earliest days, he became aware of personal suffering, of the, the power of penance. And... His family life, for him anyway, was hardly a happy one because you, you had that as his very beginning. And then not too long after, he's left an orphan. Both of his parents had died. And he was left to the care of a number of his sisters and his brothers. And his sister was very kind to him. Uh, but his older brother, uh, who had charge over him, treated him terribly. Uh, it's where we have the image uh, that's associated sometimes with Peter Damien of, of the pig, of the swine herd, because he was forced by his very cruel brother to work as little more than a swine herd, somebody who had the job of feeding and caring for the pigs. And I think there were probably days where uh, Peter thought the pigs were being better treated than he was. And yet, out of that suffering... Uh, what do we know about him? We know that he was intensely prayerful. We know that uh, from an early time he was gifted uh, by God with uh, a real t- trend, a tendency, and a love for uh, the virtues, in particular uh, temperance and prudence. And in that situation, he came into the, the care of another brother uh, who was an archpriest of Ravenna who sort of took, the, took him in and, and took him as his own son. And it is for that reason, in honor of that brother, that uh, Peter uh, embraced the name Damien. And that's really the origin for the, the fascinating name of Peter Damien, uh, that he added that name in love and in thanks to his brother. And it was because of that brother who demonstrated to him the power of love that he started on a course of learning that made him, really by the time he was 25, uh, one of the great minds of the church. It's interesting that as you look back on his life, especially those early beginnings, we can see how in the crushing that occurred and that suffering of that early childhood, in this particular case, there's this pouring out of grace and an appreciation for the need for justice, the in, in what it feels to be afflicted 
by um, potential corruption and so many other maladies that that hurt the defenseless. Yes, exactly. And and you can have those the, the two paths that you can set on uh, in the, in the face of that kind of suffering, in the in the face of that real injustice. As a child, as as a young man, you can have the the warping of the personality, especially the moral person, uh, to become yourself a victim, and then to pick up the the terrible attributes of those who abused you uh, over those decades. Or you can develop a very profound spiritual life, very powerful prayer life, to accept God's grace. Uh, to try to perfect the virtues in your own life. And we see in the life of Peter Damien that he, almost by instinct, moved toward that second path. And as a result, in allowing himself to be shaped by his suffering, uh, by the great pain of his early days, but also to recognize, for example, the love of his sister by the name of Rosalinda, who tried to be someone who loved him, to be a mother to him. When we look at the generosity and love of uh, his older brother Damien, who essentially adopted him, we see that, that, that Peter Damien was learning by that example, but he was embracing the, the gifts that God gave him. And then from a very early time, combined the, the power of penance in his own life with the utilization of the gifts that God had given him. And that is how a saint is made. That is how a doctor of the church is made. How would he affect the life of the church? In so many different ways that it's fascinating to look at this life. You, you hit on the fact that uh, so many of the doctors of the church had grown up surrounded in, uh, by families of saints. Uh, all the Gregory of Nazianzus, for example, we, we can think of uh, countless other doctors of the church, saints of the church. For, for Damien, it was another instinct that we've run across with some of the doctors and certainly some of the great saints, and that is a desire to live away from the world. He was called at a very early time to give himself completely to the life of the hermit, the eremitical life, the, the life of asceticism, uh, so much so that he wanted to follow in the footsteps of uh, St. Romuald of Ravenna, the, the founder of the Camaldolese, to withdraw from the world to the monastery of Fonte Avalana. And yet, he was dragged away from that life into a life of, of action and service for the church. And what a perfect instrument he was then for that, because here was someone who did not want high honors, who did not want to be a cardinal, a bishop, who did not want to be sent as a papal legate, a representative of the popes, to bring reform to different places in the church. For him, that was a, an intense cross. Why? Because he wanted to spend his life in prayer and contemplation, uh, that contemplatio in particular, on the, the cross. You know, he refers famously to the, the adage that those who do not love the cross of Christ do not love Christ. That was sort of his starting point. And so he was a reluctant reformer, not that he 
did not believe that reform was needed, but that he saw himself as such a poor instrument of it. And that, uh, as we've seen before with other doctors of the church, is the beginning of great things. And so we have in him a supporter of the life of the eremitical life, the, the rigor, as they say, of the hermit, of the reform of the monastic life. But then he was also one of the great figures in the reform of the wider church. And, and as we're going to, to see, uh, an absolutely essential figure in the reform of the papacy at a difficult time, which meant then that once that happened, the whole of the church could be reformed. You know, that, that famous dictum, the church needs to be reformed in her head and her members. And real reform can't come until you have that reform of the papacy. And that's where Peter Damien also left one of the great marks in the, in the life and history of the church. I've heard it said about the charism of a mystic that essentially they're a teacher of the inner transformation uh-huh. and union with God. And you can kind of see that, you know, in the lives of those who are like Catherine of Siena, who has that deep spiritual contemplative life, but yet they're out in service and they challenge us. You know, that that, that interior renewal reflects that command to go and to love your neighbor. And I mean, we maybe can see that in the life of Mother Teresa, but as you're describing now, St. Peter Damien seems to have been authentically one of those those mystics who had that interior renewal, that transformation, and yet was able to compel others and the church as a whole to that same type of union. Very much so. And, and in fact, uh, we can see in him uh, something of uh, a great antecedent uh, by nearly two centuries of someone like Francis of Assisi who had that tension in himself of the call to the eremitical life, but at the same time the call for renewal of the church of, to be a reformer through the reform and renewal of the spiritual life. Uh, and as a result of that, he, he himself left such a profound influence on the church. It always comes back with uh, Peter Damien to the cross to the need for penance, for the surrendering of ourselves, to the love of Christ, to make Christ the very center of our lives. Uh, he, he used the phrase, for example, O blessed cross, you are venerated, preached, and honored by the faith of the patriarchs, the predictions of the prophets, the senate that judges the apostles, the victorious army of martyrs, and the throngs of all the saints. I mean, it gives us an idea of, uh, I think, the intensity of Peter Damien's love for the cross, uh, but as he sees it, uh, the supreme act of God's love for humankind, you know, for the God who brought salvation, as, as Pope Benedict XVI in one of his beautiful meditations on Peter Damien uh, described. So for Damien, Peter Damien, he's bringing us a, a deeper understanding of that connection between our lives as Christians and the need to conform those lives to the cross. And he was, as a result, one of the, the probably one of the greatest doctors in, of the church in understanding the power of penance in our own lives. And in that sense, then, 
the power of renewal through penance and then contemplation. We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. The Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today.
We now return to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. It's so interesting that the doctors of the church prior to this, yes, they were very uh, contemplative, very prayerful, prayer-filled men. I mean, we look at the life of St. Augustine and, and, and so many of the others that we've discussed. But also in their time, they had to battle the, the war of heresies. That you yes. know, the, the the ones that have really manifested in themselves. In what I hear you saying about Saint Peter Damien is that we've now entered a time where the greater challenge becomes the interior one and the the acknowledgement of our of the the sinfulness of ourselves and that connection to the mystical body. I mean, he would be talking about these things. This is someone who was right before uh, Bernard of Clairvaux uh-huh. and many of the others who would almost use him, his work here, as a foundation for their own growth. Absolutely. And, and those in particular who were beneficiaries of that were the popes. There is uh, in... Peter Damien, one of the the great books of the Middle Ages, so much so that uh, it was spoken of in almost referential and reverential terms by subsequent popes, and that is simply called the Liber Gomorianus, called the Book of Gomorrah. It was probably given to Pope Leo IX around 1049 or 1051. It is one of the most intense reads for anyone today, and it is also one of the most prophetic and timely for our time. Why? Because he talks about the fact that the primary concern of the Holy See must be the welfare of souls. And he then called on the Holy See to proceed against all of those in the church who were engaged in what he called abominable and shameful vice. And what he's talking about is, and, and again, the language is very fiery, what he called the befouling cancer of sodomy. And he's talking specifically about priests and monks who violated their vows and engaged in what he referred to as unclean acts. He looked at those priests who used the confessional to gain access to uh, boys and young men under the sacrament of penance. He condemned bishops who failed to implement reforms. And he spoke with great clarity about the impact on the church and also on the victims themselves uh, by these acts. So in other words, he's saying that this is a deeper problem for the church. And then on top of that, he placed the weight of the problem on the shoulder of the bishops and the abbots. And he lamented that all too often the leaders of the church are partners in the guilt of others through their inaction or their willingness to allow what he called the scourge of abuse to continue. Now, tell me if this sounds familiar with what we're dealing with uh, and have been dealing with uh, very effectively in the last years. So, Peter Damien is a demonstration as a doctor of the church that we have to be forthright. We have to have the courage to talk about the problems in the church. But on top of that, we have to have the moral strength to deal with them effectively. Wow. It's difficult when we realize that in some ways what we think is new is exactly is all. There's nothing new under the sun. And unfortunately for us, because of the great, uh, the fallen nature, the human condition, 
it seems as though, once again, the doctors speak to us today. Right. And, and so we have in, in Peter Damien, then, this, this powerful figure. Uh, and subsequent popes saw in him this fierce, holy voice for reform. And it was for that reason that in 1057, uh, he was asked to leave his monastery and to be named Cardinal Bishop of Ostia, which even today, the, the Cardinal Bishop of Ostia uh, is one of the most powerful figures in the church, you know, within the College of Cardinals. And as, as a result of that appointment, he was then sent around uh, to deal with different crises in the church. So he was sent out as what was called a legate, and he brought with him uh, the what, what Pope Benedict XVI calls the ideal image of the Holy Church. And to pick up on something that uh, uh, you talked about, in one of his letters, letter number 28, he discusses the Church, and he fosters this beautiful ecclesiology, a theology of the Church, as communion. And he writes, the Christ Church is united by the bond of charity, to the point that just as she has many members, so is she mystically entirely contained in a single member. As, as Pope Benedict writes, in such a way that the whole universal church is rightly called the one bride of Christ in the singular, and each chosen soul through the sacramental mystery is considered fully church. So he makes the point, Pope Benedict does, that this is important not only that the whole church should be united, but that the church should be present in her totality in each one of us. And as a result, then, our service to the church as an individual becomes an expression of the universality of the church. It's a beautiful image, but it also stresses on us our duty as Catholics to be pure, to lead lives of penance and love of Christ. What an extraordinary man. No wonder lifted up as a doctor of the church. But what time period would he be elevated to that role? Yeah, well, he was uh, appointed a, a doctor of the church in 1823 uh, by Pope Leo XII. And that itself is, is worth noting because you have in 1823 uh, the church emerging out of the, the terrible years of the Napoleonic Wars. You know, Pope Pius VII, who'd been a prisoner of Napoleon for some five years, had just died. And that the church was in need of continuing strengthening. Uh, Pius VII did a beautiful job of helping to lead the church out of the Napoleonic era, uh, the age of the French Revolution, and then to reconstitute things like the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus. It became, in the 19th century, a great bulwark for the faith. Leo the Twelfth uh, was seen as something more of a conservative pope than Pius VII, but somebody who was also aware of the need for ongoing reform in the church. So for him, appointing uh, someone like Peter Damien as a doctor of the church uh, was a signal uh, that we need to combine that penitential quality with the contemplation of the cross uh, but also to keep driving ahead uh, for reform and renewal in the church. And, and there was an awareness, I think, on Leo XII's part that that reform also has to encompass the papacy. I suspect from what you've told us about him just in this brief time that 
contemplative aspect of his prayer, even the going out, that must have been a burden for him in some ways to have to to leave that cell of solitude, essentially, in which he had to go out and to face these situations, but face them in his strength. I mean, in, and when I mean in the Lord's strength. Yes, yeah, absolutely. As he went out and he served and he, he promoted devotion to the Blessed Mother and he was a legate, the one thing that he really wanted more than anything else was not to perpetuate these honors. He certainly didn't, for example, want to be elected pope, which at one point was certainly discussed among the cardinals, but he wanted to go back to his monastery. He wanted to go back to Fonte Avalana, uh, to that contemplatio, to that, that life of the hermit, uh, to the life of prayer. And almost to the day he died, he was being sent out again as a papal legate. And I think it was for him a very great cross, but one that he understood that, that Christ was asking him to make. Uh, and, and there, too, is perhaps his last lesson, that we have to be always surrendering ourselves to God's will in our lives uh, and to do things that we don't necessarily want to do, but that we know in our heart we're supposed to do, that, that Christ is asking us. And the more difficult that becomes, the more we have an opportunity to conform ourselves to Christ and to make a gift of ourselves and our labors to be that instrument, unworthy as we are. Would you recommend, good Dr. Bunsen, the reading, the writings of St. Peter Damien to today's uh, Seeking Heart? I mean, would it could be richly edifying to someone who's just beginning that quest, like St. Peter Damien? Yeah, I, I think um, to read his letters uh, would be of uh, great value uh, to people. Uh, the the, the Liber Gomorianus, the, the Book of Gomorrah, uh, makes for tough reading. Uh, and it, in a way, I can say this seriously, it's not for the faint of heart because of his choice of language. Mm -hmm. But for those of us in, in the church who have had to document and talk about uh, the, the whole abuse scandal over the, the last 15 years, the, a book like this is a very powerful reminder of that we have dealt with this crisis before, that there is a solution. To go back to Richard John Newhouse's famous dictum, uh, the, the, the key to it is fidelity, fidelity, fidelity. Mm -hmm. And that's what Peter Damien is calling us to do as a church, uh, to be faithful, to be faithful to Christ and to have our gaze always on the cross. And so I, I would really recommend uh, reading some of his short treaties that are called Apuscula uh, because they're, they're very contextual. We have to remember that this was written during the Middle Ages. His, his language is, again, very fiery. Uh, but he was a reformer living in a difficult time uh, in much the same way that we all need to be reformers living in an equally difficult time. Mm, fascinating. Dr. Bunsen, thank you so much. Oh, it's great to be with you, Chris. You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it in the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. 
We hope that if this program has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen.